Jesus continues in our story from Luke 15 today in verse 11. Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, give me my share of the inheritance. Then the father divided his estate between them. Soon afterward, the younger son gathered everything together and took a trip to a land far away. There he wasted his wealth through extravagant living. When he'd used up his resources, a severe food shortage arose in that country, and he began to be in need. He hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him in the field to feed, to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from what the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough food, but I'm starving to death? I will get up and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. Take me on as one of your hired hands. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was moved with compassion. His father ran to him, hugged him, and kissed him. Then his son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I no longer deserve to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Fetch the fattened calf and slaughter it. We must celebrate with feasting. Because this son of mine was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. Coming in from the field, he approached the house and heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked what was going on. The servant replied, your brother has arrived and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he received his son back safe and sound. Then the older son was furious and didn't want to enter in, but his father came out and begged him. He answered his father, look, I've served you all these years, and I have never disobeyed your instruction. Yet you've never given me as much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours returned after gobbling up your estate on prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Then his father said, son, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, let the words of my mouth and the thoughts and meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Around 10 years ago or so, my wife let me know in very sad terms and very worried ones that she had lost this precious pearl necklace that her parents had given her. And our only rule about this pearl necklace was to not tell her parents about it being lost because she was so afraid. They had given it to her for a special occasion. I think it was college graduation or something like that, or maybe when she turned 16. One of those two things. Her mom could tell me. Which was it? 18, thank you, there we go. And so um, 
So she received this necklace. We couldn't find it anywhere in the house. We searched high and low. And you've done this, right? You've, you've looked in every possible place and in the weird places, right? So you, like, you looked like in that cabinet that nothing is in or that junk drawer. Or, and you look through and through and you say, well, maybe when we do the spring cleaning type of thing this time and we change out the, when the clothes go in the attic and so maybe we'll find it then and everything like that. And so this went on. And then three years later, Sometime before we moved to our house in Raleigh, we, Laura fessed up to her parents that, that um, she lost this necklace, and they kindly replaced that, that necklace for her. And it wasn't but a few months later when moving um, that we, we pull out the drawers from the desk to get ready to move, right? And we feel something under the second drawer lodged up there, and, and there was that strand of pearls hidden in that spot. And Laura said, oh, yeah, I remember putting them in that drawer when we were leaving on a trip one time or something to hide them. But they had gotten, like, lodged in a place you would never find them in, in the dust. So um, eventually she had to tell her parents. But I guess it's nice that one day we'll have pearls to leave both the children. So that's good. Um, but anyway, um, these parables about lost things, I just couldn't help but remember that in, in, in our experience about the shepherd who has the 99 sheep but has lost the one, about the woman with this lost coin and the loving father are grouped together on purpose. Jesus clearly is telling them back to back in this scene for a reason. They all reiterate the same points to us about God and about what God's kingdom is about. And Luke sets the scene and tells us that Jesus tell these, tells us these stories because the, because the Pharisees, right, and the legal experts are grumbling. And they are saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Now, why is this a big deal, right? Why, why, we might say, why, why does this matter to you Pharisees? Well, in the culture of Jesus' time, table fellowship is a way bigger deal than it is to us today. We are used to fast food and a counter service and to not really holding large gatherings and eating with people all the time unless it's a really special occasion. But in Jesus' day and in that whole culture around him, not just in Israel, if you broke bread together with someone, it was a sign and seal of full acceptance of them. And the fact is, is that sinners was not just a flippant term used by these Pharisees to describe like, those people that do bad things sometimes. No, sinners were people outside of the covenant community because they had breached Mosaic law. They had specific things that they had done that put them on the outside of the community. Jesus then is fully accepting these publicly proclaimed sinners. And for a Pharisee, someone who follows the law, who seeks to follow God, this is extremely offensive. So before hearing these parables, we have to ask ourselves, where are you sitting to hear these stories from Jesus? Are you beside Jesus addressing the hypocritical Pharisees? This is often the easiest place for us to read from sometimes, to, to be saying, well, those Pharisees, right? And, 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 and to put them on the outskirts. So are you beside Jesus or are you with the Pharisees and scribes receiving the rebuke of Jesus? Some of us might find ourselves often 
sitting in those shoes when we're honest with ourselves? Or are you among the tax collectors and the sinners, finding yourself welcome in the presence of Jesus? I want to contend with you this morning that that might be the most healthy place to find ourselves. And I'll explain why. So Jesus begins, right, and he says, What shepherd, what shepherd wouldn't leave the 99 sheep in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? It seems to be a rhetorical question to us, but the thing is, he doesn't leave the 99 like in a sheep pen. They're not necessarily safe in this place. They're out in the pasture. They're in the wilderness. Something could happen to one of the other 99, right? So either the shepherd in this case, is foolish for leaving the 99 sheep to go after the one. Economically, that's probably not a wise move. Or the shepherd loves the sheep so much, he will risk everything, even his very life, to go after it. Then we move on to the woman. What woman won't light a lamp and sweep the house, searching her home carefully until she finds that lost coin? And like my wife and I were talking about the pearls, we've been this woman searching for something valuable. Maybe you're like the chronic key loser. I don't know. My dad always lost his glasses. It was mad. They were like on top of the fridge all the time. He's probably watching, but like that's where they always were. And so, um, but in, in both of these stories, the shepherd and the woman are not going to give up until they find what is valuable to them. And every time in these stories, when they do, a celebration breaks out, right? I mean, a coin sounds to us small, but one of these coins that this woman has, probably a couple weeks wages, right? So we're, we're, you know, we're, we're in the thousands of dollars category type of thing in our modern day for one of these coins. And so when she finds it, she throws a huge celebration, invites the neighbors over just, just as the shepherd does when he finds his one sheep whom he loves, The people can't celebrate alone. They invite others to join for what was lost. The father embodies this same pursuit then. What father, if his son ran off, Jesus is saying, and then returned home, wouldn't welcome him with open arms. Friends, this is not the story so much of the prodigal son as we want to make it out to be, but of the loving father. The heart, the heart of the gospel today, the heart of these stories is the joy of the party. And the offense of the gospel today is the joy of the party. The offense to the older brother was not that his brother was welcomed and returned home. They had a way for that in culture where the The prodigal could return home where they they would find a place, but he would be among the hired hired men and among the servants. That's why the younger son has his speech prepared. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Welcome me, take me in as one of your hired servants. That would have been commonplace, but he would have had a home and a place to be. It's the party that offends the older brother. Because the older brother is left wondering, has this party canceled the seriousness of sin and undone the actual repentance of the younger son? But friends, the father loves both of his sons. 
It tells us that he went out to the younger son when he saw him from a distance. That's a beautiful scene that we've heard repeated. It also tells us, though, when the older son wouldn't come into the party, the father goes out to him. The father pursues both of them. The father was generous to both of his sons. The father's love and excitement towards the younger son in this case does not exclude loving the other. But rather, this is a massive celebration Jesus wants us to understand. Fred Craddock, the great preacher, explained it this way. He said, there is a condition worse than death to be lost. And there is a condition better than life to be found. We hear those lines a couple times in this text. The son, he was lost and is found. He is dead and has come back to life. So friends, what do we learn when reading these texts? These familiar stories, these stories that kind of have gravitational appeal to people, whether, whether they follow Jesus or not, these are in the like, wow, that's some really good teachings from someone type of category. Well, friends, the kingdom of God is always about seeking one who is lost. Lost is not meant to be a pejorative term when Jesus uses it in these stories. To this end, Christians then are not meant to just cloister together and not have contact with the outside world. I went to a small Christian college and struggled with this concept in our very Christian bubble. Y'all don't even know. We had chapel three times a week that was required and you had to scan your ID card in and out. I mean, that's sort of like worship feeling like prison a little bit, right? So we, but we went there three mornings a week. You got six skips a semester, right? That was the environment. And so it was very much kind of a bubble environment. And then I went on to seminary to study with people that wanted to be pastors for three years. And I found myself wondering, like, is it really good that we're all just with each other all of the time? Should we not be uh, among others? And, and, and sometimes it felt a little bit like a cloister. Friends, if we cannot see ourselves, if we cannot see ourselves as one who has been found in these stories... If we can't place ourselves among those who have been rescued, then we ourselves have not been saved. If we cannot sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. If we can't sing those words, meaning them for ourselves, then we have not received the forgiving grace of God. For friends, God is always, always seeking after us. This is the concept that John Wesley calls provenient grace, grace that goes before us. It means that God is in pursuit of every single person before we know it. It's the reason why we can baptize babies and be okay with it is because God's grace is working in that person before they even know it. God is pursuing all who are lost. And then when we are found by Jesus, there is always a party 
This is what Jesus is being questioned about. Why is he partying and spending time with sinners? I mean, Jesus could have been healing more people, and instead he's hanging out with sinners and having a party. But friends, the church, the Christian faith and community should be a place full of joy and celebration even, even in a faith tradition where there's some liturgy and we repeat things or we sing hymns and not praise songs all the time, it should be a time that is full of joy. Every time we come to this table, we recognize that Jesus welcomes us to his table. He sought us, he saved us, and we are invited to join him here that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Friends, have you ever felt the tug of Jesus on your heart pursuing you? It feels like a love that will not let up. It feels like an embrace that you have longed for. It feels like coming home after wandering a long way off. Maybe you've ignored this tug because you know it might mean giving up something that you need to give up. Whether it's the pursuit of money at all costs or a habit that has you stuck. Perhaps you feel that nudge and that tug from the Holy Spirit, but you push it away. Or perhaps... You've not trusted this feeling because you doubt your worthiness of being pursued. You might say something like, but you don't know what I've done. You might be like this younger son coming and saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. You have the speech prepared. I have wandered far away and squandered it all like that wandering son. And the father runs to you, shuts up your speech hugs your neck, and calls for the celebration. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, sometimes we've heard these stories so many times that we forget what it was like to be found. Or God, what it's like to see someone else move from being lost into being found by you. Or we forget that that's at the heart of your good news. I once was lost, but now am found. And Jesus, that you are always, always pursuing us. You will stop at nothing, nothing to come after us. So Lord, I pray that everyone here, whether worshiping with us in a pew or in a living room today would know the power and the draw of your love that calls them, that beckons them into relationship, that shuts us up when we come saying, here are all the reasons why you shouldn't love me, God. And instead you receive us into your arms, giving to us your grace. Lord, help us each one, to receive that love, to know the reality of being found by you. 
It's the power of Jesus' name we pray. Amen.